Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to, well, me, Sarah Nixon, public programmer at the St. Catharines Museum. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of Indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. It's Halloween! And what's spookier, more bone-chilling, than talking about obituaries? Today I've invited a very special guest, Amanda Ballack past programming assistant at the St. Catharines Museum and budding historian to the podcast to delve into this topic of many nightmares. Hi Sarah and hi listeners, it's great to be back again. The ooky spooky isn't fully why we wanted to explore obituaries with you. Obituaries can actually be an incredibly valuable source for understanding the nuances of society at a particular moment in time. We can find trends in causes of death and life expectancy, but we can also get a good sense of the values and beliefs and shared circumstances of society from what families thought important enough to include in the obituary of a lost loved one. In this podcast episode, we will explore St. Catherine's obituaries from the 19th century and consider what we can learn from them. So, Amanda, I am sure people are wondering how exactly we came to the topic of obituaries. So, um, we were doing research for guided spirit walks, and we were looking for people who died in St. Catharines who were buried in Victoria Lawn Cemetery. When I found this book, uh, it's called Sincerely Lamented, St. Catharines Obituaries, 1817 to 1918, compiled by Paul Hutchinson. And this book was an incredible resource. It literally is a printing of hundreds of obituaries in St. Catharines, all different names, not just the, you know, the famous and well-to-do people in St. Catharines, but even some of the ordinary citizens that, for whatever reason, Paul Hutchinson thought was important to include in this publication. We have some prominent businessmen. We have uh, Eliza Stevenson, the proprietor of the Stevenson House, but then we also have children and things like that. And so it's a really interesting collection of obituaries that span about 100 years in our city's history. Yeah, exactly. And when we were looking through Sincerely Lamented, we were looking for very specific stories. We were looking for scandal. And this had to do with the research we were conducting was for the guided spirit walks, like Amanda said, and this year's production focused on um, scandal, stories of infamy, stories of things that we don't often talk about when we talk about St. Catherine's history. Absolutely. So then as we read, um, Sarah and I read the, the book, we were shocked by what was included in these obituaries explicit detail, gruesome, violent details about people's deaths. And we couldn't help but thinking how that's changed. Now, when you read obituaries, it's pretty vague. They talk about the family and they talk about sort of funeral arrangements. And that is not at all what we have in Sincerely Lamented. Mm -hmm. And I think that has to do with 
uh, obviously society has changed and I think obituaries meant a different thing in those communities than it does today. Um, for a lot of people, an obituary might be the only thing that would ever be published about someone. And that was the opportunity that families took to list all of their accomplishments or all of their you know, connections to society, um, what their values were, what their connections to the family, but also the public sphere. Because for a lot of people, this was the only time that they would ever be mentioned in a newspaper. So it's really an interesting thing because we get this micro history. We learn about some specific person's life, but it also sort of speaks to the macro history because we get a lot of context of the 19th century from these obituaries. And not just about how they died, but also how they lived too. How these people lived in the public sphere. What churches were they involved with? What committees and school boards and um, you know advocacy groups or philanthropic groups were they a part of? Uh, so we also get a sense of what was it like to be in the public sphere at this time as well. So with all of this being said, let's listen to a few obituaries and talk about them. Murder. On Monday evening last, a colored man was stabbed in the breast by another one named Jones and died in 10 minutes after receiving the wound. The above murder was committed in the Negro village of this town, and as usual, our constables promptly arrested the murderer. An inquest was held on Tuesday and resulted in the committal of Jones to await his trial for an offense punished in all ages and by all races of the human family. We may remark that the murder was committed at a house where deeds of cruelty usually take place, a house of very questionable character, or rather, we would say, a decidedly improper house. The St. Catherine's Journal, November 29th, 1855. Death of a Centenarian. There died Wednesday afternoon at her little home on North William Street, Mrs. Emily Smith, who, previous to her demise, might well have claimed the title of oldest inhabitant. She was a colored woman, and there is conclusive evidence that she was 102 years of age, if not a year or so older. For many years, she has resided in the city, burying her husband, Dandridge Smith, here 22 years ago. She was a very intelligent old lady and could tell many interesting stories of old times. For some time, she had been in poor circumstances and was kept largely by the charity of Christian workers. The Daily Standard, December 12, 1895. St. Catharines from our own correspondent. An old colored lady, Mrs. Sarah Taylor, who lived a short distance from the city, died Monday last at the advanced age of 120 years, 11 months, and eight days. Her mental faculties were unimpaired up to the moment of her death. She claimed to be in possession of a second sight, had a third set of natural teeth, and her hair was quite dark, having changed from white. 
Thorold Post, February 19th, 1886. So what I find really interesting about the obituaries of William Jones, Emily Smith, and Sarah Taylor is the language used. The language used tells us a lot about racial stereotypes at the time. I completely agree, uh, especially in the case of William Jones and his decidedly improper home. Who decided that it was improper Mm -hmm. and what does that mean in the quote-unquote Negro part of St. Catharines? Exactly. And I think when we're talking about obituaries, using words like decidedly improper. A house where deeds of cruelty usually take place. A house of very questionable character. Those, those, that kind of language skews the reader. And I think that tells us a lot about what the newspapers thought about the quote-unquote Negro community in St. Catharines. It's really interesting to see sort of what what makes the news here? What What's the story? What's the narrative that they're trying to convey here? Mm-hmm. We can see it pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think that gives it another perspective of, you know, newspapers at this time are really the only medium to getting this kind of news out here. Um, and the people who wrote the news, that became, you know, truth in these communities. Mm-hmm. And so being careful as to why they choose to emphasize certain details of a story rather than others and the fact that again this was this was an obituary (laughs) absolutely yeah we're not remembering William Jones's life did he have kids he has a wife we don't really know that from the actual obituary part Um, we don't know anything about his life other than he lived in a decidedly improper house whereas if you read other obituaries of white men from the time period you hear about their family and their accomplishments and all the things that they're doing so it's certainly um, perpetuating this already existing stereotype Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and speaking of stereotypes we also see those in the obituaries of sarah taylor and emily smith interesting that the obituaries really emphasize their age Mm -hmm. and Sarah Taylor especially who was 120 years 11 months and eight days old Mm -hmm. and that she had second sight and a third set of natural teeth absolutely and it's kind of again perpetuating this idea that she is so different than the others in this area Mm -hmm. why is that why is that the language used and similarly when you look at other um, women's obituaries from this book from the from white women again they're talking about their character and mm-hmm. their children mm-hmm. and their husbands and things like that with Mrs. Sarah Taylor it's just she had a second sight a third set of teeth her hair was quite dark having changed from it previously being white yeah <laughs> and they again you're they're almost creating creating a caricature of this person and and even just that she was 120, almost 121 years old, that would have her born in 1765. Highly doubted. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, to, even today where we have um, medical advances and things like that, you don't really hear people living to 121 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. And if they do, they're in the Guinness Book of World Records, right? <laughs> so why is that? Why, why is her age exaggerated? 
And speaking of age with Sarah Taylor, we see something similar with Emily Smith. Um, she was 102 years old. Now this is maybe a little bit more believable than 121, but mm -hmm. even still. So it says she was a colored woman. There's conclusive evidence that she was 100 of two years of age, if not a year or so older. What was this conclusive evidence? <laughs> we would like to know. Yeah, and I think something additionally interesting about this emphasis of age for a black woman is at the time in the 19th century, some of the black people living in St. Catharines would have been born slaves at this time. Absolutely. And they might have come to St. Catharines as freedom seekers settled in St. Catharines. And a lot of slaves didn't actually know their age. They didn't know when they were born because the slave owners didn't think that was important enough Absolutely. to tell them. So that adds an another layer to this age conversation that's happening. Uh, not just how much it's true, but why why it matters. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's interesting with both Emily Smith and Sarah and Sarah Taylor is that added layer of black history in the 19th century as well. Mrs. John Lovell fatally burned. Unfortunate woman meets painful and strange death. Amid great pain and fearful burns about her body, Mrs. Mary Ann Lovell of Academy Street in this city expired before noon today. The burns which caused her death were received in her own room. After receiving which she lingered in agony for about 35 hours, at the end of which death terminated her sufferings. The exact cause of her burns is not known and may never be discovered. It was between midnight Saturday night and one o'clock Sunday morning that her husband, John Lovell, who occupied a separate room, was alarmed by the screams of his wife. He hurried to her room and found her enveloped in flames. With the use of blankets and other material close at hand, he succeeded after some difficulty in smothering the flames, but not before the unfortunate woman was very seriously burned. Mr. Lovell immediately summoned Dr. Merritt, who quickly hurried to the unfortunate woman and endeavored to relieve her suffering. This morning, she was still alive, and the husband proceeded to take the necessary steps to have her removed to the hospital. He secured the necessary permit and upon arriving home found that his wife had expired. Death occurred at about 11 o'clock. The injured woman, who was 52 years of age, was formerly a Miss Lockhart. Besides her husband, who is a gardener, she leaves a daughter in Chicago and a brother, Edward Lockhart, of this city. The burns were principally to the body and lower limbs. She apparently had not inhaled the flames. The bed was on fire when the physician arrived, but no cause can be given of the fire. Matches is believed to have been the cause, but this is only a matter of conjecture. The Daily Standard, November 28th, 1904. Shocking. A little girl about seven years of age 
the daughter of Mr. John Gillis, living near this village, was so shockingly burned on Christmas Day, in the absence of her parents, by her clothes, which were of cotton, accidentally taking fire, that she survived only a few hours. The screams of the little sufferer brought a neighbor to the house, who found her standing in the door, literally roasted alive. But what renders the circumstance of her death more painfully aggravating is that her sister, a girl of 14 years old, was sitting by, rocking a young child, but who had never made an effort to save her, although a pail of water was standing nearby. And when asked by the neighbor why she had not, sullenly replied, because she hadn't had mine to. St. Catherine's Journal, January 2nd, 1840. Why were those two obituaries so graphic? Absolutely. I think it's kind of jarring in comparison to some of the obituaries we have today to hear something with so much detail of this woman's death and this little girl's death. Yes. And the fact that this little girl, the Gillis girl, didn't even get a name. This also sheds light of how obituaries have changed over time. Today, you would never see that much detail Never in an obituary. Absolutely not. I think you're right. I think, yeah, something that is really sad to me is the fact that she doesn't even get a name. Mm -hmm. She's seven years old at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. She has a name, and yeah. she's a person who's living in St. Catharines. Yeah. She has a family. She has a sister who didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but she's a person, and she's just in the obituary as the Gillis girl. Yeah. And that just, that's really sad to me. I don't know why that would be. Mm -hmm. And especially given Mary Ann Lovell's obituary was even more graphic. Very much detail about how the burns may have occurred, the husband finding her, cause of death. I wonder why. Me too. I feel weird saying this, but was it a sense of entertainment? Oh. I mean, they're reading the newspapers and... Is this scandalous? I don't, I don't know. It's it seems kind of like gross to us. Yes. But would people have read that and been like, "Huh, that's unfortunate." And then just turn the page. Yeah, like that's I, interesting. And I don't know. Yeah, but and also what makes this interesting? This like the gruesome and the goriness of of newspaper articles at this time because it wasn't just obituaries, um, but. When we think of society in the 19th century, like Victorian era, mm -hmm. we think of censorship and, you know, they, they didn't like talking about inappropriate things and everyone was uptight. It's not the case. <laughs> I think if you read newspapers from um, England, from the United States, and from Canada, things are really sensationalized in the oh. Victorian era. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, you're seeing a lot of sort of things being expressed in the media that's just completely um, absurd to us today. We're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they published stuff like that. But it really dispels this myth that mm. the Victorians were kind of prudes. <laughs> they, they were printing the nitty gritties of, of these, you know, whether it was murder trials or what mm. have you. So I don't know if it's just part of this general 
trend of Victorian newspaper sensationalism and obituaries just fell in that mm-hmm. category. The other thing that um, that the Gillis girl and the uh, Mrs. Lavelle tells us is just the general dangers for women uh, in this time period. Uh, I think that we often think about the dangerous work of men, but the leading cause of death for women in the early 19th century was childbirth. The second leading cause of death was infections from burns. It kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of a micro history and a macro history at once. It's speaking to these sort of mm-hmm. general trends. Mm-hmm. Why was the second leading cause of death for women burns? Yeah, because of the gender roles of the time, I think. You know, right. they're cooking. Um, they're the ones doing most of the cooking. They're cooking over um, the fireplaces with these long dresses that have no control. So a lot of women would actually dampen the ends of their skirts or sew weights into them to be able to control their skirts better yeah. because it was pretty easy to turn around and your skirt sort of flout like the so, wind in your skirt. Yeah, and then that catches fire, which catches fire to you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Gruesome. Right. I think overall, the Gillis girl and Mary Ann Lavelle, we picked them out of the Hutchinson book because we found it really interesting that we were able to see this trend in the in the collection of obituaries that Hutchinson chose. Um, I think it's potentially deliberate that he would include I think it was three or four total of these burnt women because they were probably seen a lot. And so maybe that speaks to right. what pe- what contemporaries were reading. Died. On the 23rd, Mary S. Shepard, wife of Mr. Joseph Robinson of this town, The deceased was 38 years of age, 14 which she spent in this town. Early called by her lord to be his follower, she united with the Presbyterian Church and for 20 years was an attached and consistent member of the same, fulfilling so far as the care of a large family would allow all the obligations of her profession. As a Christian, she was humble, sincere, and fervent. As a wife, she was truly and help meet for her partner, always kind and affectionate, willing to share his sorrows and his joys and bear his burdens. As a mother, her maternal solicitude and devotion to the well-being of her family was such as never can be replaced. As a friend and neighbor, the benevolence of disposition, the mildness of temper, and the readiness with which at all times she rendered her sympathy and assistance endeared her to all who knew her. Thus, after a short sickness of two weeks, God has summoned himself another of those whose place will long be vacant. But our loss is her game, for she has left behind the blessed assurance that she has fallen asleep in Jesus to wake in the resurrection of the just at the last day. Reader, may you and I so improve our time and the privileges of the glorious gospel that we also, when our appointed hour shall come, may die the death of the righteous and our last end be peace. The first thing that really strikes me about her obituary is how much it is in contrast to the obituaries of Sarah Taylor and Emily Smith. 
who were the centenarians who were 120 years old and yet the paragraph is a couple lines long and only talks about her age not how amazingly virtuous this woman was Uh, i think when you compare the two i mean you can see the stark difference between them you can see i mean mary robinson's obituary never ends she's um she's kind and affectionate she's devoted she's a uh, a friend and a neighbor and you know a wife to her husband and she's all of these things and then like you said sarah taylor and emily smith get three sentences about mm-hmm. how they were old and had a th- or a second sight and a third set of teeth and i think that has to do with the virtues of being a white woman Absolutely. in the 19th century i don't think we can shy away from that mm-hmm. um and it's written right here in these sources people would read the obituaries of women like mary and want to read those things about her absolutely right that would have been um would have given solace to the family to know that she's being remembered in this light as a virtuous woman um Mm -hmm. compared to maybe others who weren't on the same kind of class level racial level in saint catherine's community um where they would have been remembered differently. And I think that this also tells us a lot about just general St. Catherine's history at the time. I think it's really easy to look at us and say, we are so great and we are not racist here and we've never been racist and Mm -hmm. slavery never existed in Canada. And it did. And the stereotypes were also there and the racist attitudes Mm -hmm. were there and clear. and, And you can't deny that. I think even just looking at the obituaries, it's pretty loud and clear between mm-hmm. William Jones and Emily Smith and Sarah Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, yeah, Mary's being written about. And that's not to, you know, lessen Mary Robinson's memory in our community. Absolutely not. I just think the language is really interesting. And the language given to obituaries like Mary Robinson's also sheds light on the different roles that men and women played in the public and private spheres here in St. Catharines as well. Um, Men were, you know, very active in society. They were businessmen Mm -hmm. and, and politicians and, you know, benefactors to churches and community groups, whereas women really took that domestic role and are remembered quite differently than on the same page as Mary Robinson there's a man named John Riordan and in his obituary it talks about what a businessman he was he had a variety of interests he was a large stockholder he was a director of the company Um, his enthusiasm in his work his advocacy for national policy with confederation and the conservative party all of these things are mentioned in Mr. Riordan's piece, but in Mary Robinson's, you know, she takes care of her large family, Mm -hmm. she's a kind and affectionate wife, she's humble, sincere, and fervent. Mm -hmm. I think that definitely speaks to um, the private versus public sphere that's happening at the time. Absolutely, and again, we have that, you know, 
macro history where we can take these obituaries and it says a lot about the values at St. Catharines and the larger, you know, society had at the time. Absolutely. Where, you know, women stayed at the home, they were with the family, and men, you know, lived out their active lives in the mm-hmm. public sphere. What really strikes me about obituaries is the power they hold in the historical record. Each of the individuals we discussed today lived a life. They had relationships and conversations and laughed and cried. Their obituaries are, in a way, their life's legacy. Who wrote the obituary for William Jones and why did they feel compelled to tell the readers that his home was decidedly improper? How does such language shape his legacy? Who wrote the obituary on the Gillis girl and decided that she didn't need a name and instead talked about her sister not saving her life. What kind of legacy does that lead for the Gillis girl, her sister, their family? And another layer is added when you compare 19th century obituaries to what we are familiar with when reading in newspapers and online today. 21st century obituaries, they just seem so vague. You get who has died before them, who they are survived by, funeral arrangements. So why do you think obituaries have evolved in the way that they have? Why are they so different now, 100 to 150 years later? And do you still read obituaries in the newspaper or online? Share a comment on our blog. And that's our Halloween episode. Thank you so much for having me back, Sarah. We love having you back to talk about obituaries and what we can learn about this very specific part of history. Before we go, we want to leave you with something a little more lighthearted. Died in this town on the fourth instant after a lingering illness, the St. Catherine's Daily Post aged one year, three months, and one day. The poor little thing was delicate from the beginning, and doctors Curry, Purves, J.S. MacDonald, McDougall, and Mowat used their best efforts to keep it alive, which they succeeded in doing for the above period with frequent doses of the essence of pap. But that invigorating cordial, having lately failed to arrive from the apothecary's shop at Quebec, the dear little bantling died a miserable death last Saturday evening. St. Catherine's Constitutional, June 9th, 1864. They're probably thinking, nice, our competition is gone. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Newspaper obituary. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. This podcast was produced by Sarah Nixon and Amanda Ballack. And a special thank you to Adrian Petrie for reading these obituaries for us. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre and the City of St. Catharines.